Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Hakun Wong. I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time, and with me is senior staff writer and perhaps warning Patriots fan, Ryan Whitfield. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? Have you recovered from Thursday? Yeah, you know, obviously Thursday night was uh, was a little bit rough, a little bit of a disappointing uh, um, ending to that game for us. But, uh, you know, five, five and 17 years uh, takes this thing out a little bit of regular season losses. Oh, right, of course. And, of course, you guys are facing the New Orleans Saints next week, which uh, couldn't stop Sam Bradford of the uh, Minnesota Vikings. So I think you guys are going to be in good shape next week. I, I really doubt you're going to lose two in a row. All right, so. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just say, I think you could say the same thing about the Saints, though. It makes them a little bit dangerous, too, because they're, you got two teams fighting to not go 0-2, so I think it's actually going to be a pretty competitive game on Sunday. Well, it's certainly on the offensive side. I think their defense still needs a lot of work, but you're right. So it'll be interesting, and that's why they play the game. But, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more a little bit, a little bit later, actually. But let's, uh, we've got a lot to cover today about week one, including some key injuries. We've got rookie running back outlooks. We've got the best and worst team of the week. So let's go ahead and get started. So the first thing I want to cover are some injuries. Yes, there were a number of bad injuries this week, and two of them and uh, kind of pop up to the front here. And the number for, the first one I want to cover is David Johnson, who had a wrist injury uh, on Sunday, which what appeared to be a sprain, but was later said to be a dislocation. Now the Cardinals seemed to be shopping around for a doctor who would advise rehabbing it instead of surgery, but in the end they decided to go for the operation. It looks like now David Johnson will have the surgery and be out at least two to three months. Uh, he's going to injured reserve. Earliest return will be week 10 against the Seahawks, but we probably won't see him again until the very end of the season and certainly at the end of the fantasy season. Kerwin Williams, Andre Ellington look like they might form a committee while he's sidelined. They also just re-signed Chris Johnson today. Someone they didn't talk to, which surprised me, was Matt Jones, who's kind of floating out there. But what are your thoughts about David Johnson this injury and how it affects the Arizona Cardinals this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not high on Arizona in general, even with David Johnson, but I think this effectively ends their season. Um, you know, for, for fantasy owners like myself who uh, had him in a keeper league, this is pretty devastating, um, especially when he comes back in, you think maybe he's okay, but he did fumble when he came back in. So um, you have to assume that the wrist really was bothering him to the point that he couldn't even hold the ball there. So um but for the Cardinals, I mean, Carson Palmer looks bad and old. Um, and I don't think that, you know, when, you, when you're two, now your two best players are him and Larry Fitzgerald on offense who are old and bad, um, at least in Carson Palmer's case. And, you know, John Brown inconsistent. And, I mean, you could see it the minute David Johnson went out of that game, that offense was lost. So, you know, I don't think anybody really fills that spot. And I don't think the Cardinals are a, a very good team this year, I think. I think Bruce Arians is being exposed, and I've said this a couple times over the last couple of years, he was somebody I was high on, but the more and more I've watched him, the way he coaches and, and the way his teams are run, um, the less and less faith I have in him in that organization. So I think this is headed towards a, a very bad five-win at best case scenario season. Carson Palmer finally hangs it up at the end of this year um, and rides out the mediocre career he's built for himself. And, 
you know, Arizona's kind of in a rebuilding phase going into next year, and they're going to, you know, have to make their, their focus around David Johnson, um, fixing that offensive line and finding a quarterback. So uh, long story short, if I'm them, you know, with the the, the, the deep quarterback class, um, I start to consider maybe tanking and, and building for the future here. Yeah, and then obviously we're, we're not going to know the real effects of the Arizona Cardinals and, and, and David Johnson until week three because week two they're going to be playing the very – the really terrible Arizona, uh, sorry, Indianapolis Colts. So uh, he actually might look serviceable. The Arizona Cardinals might look serviceable in week two. But I agree with you. I think basically without David Johnson, there is no significant threat out there. Larry Fitzgerald is still Larry Fitzgerald, I think, but they don't really have anybody to pair with him. I don't, I don't trust J.J. Nelson. I don't trust John Brown. And I really agree with you when you say Carson Palmer is long past his expiration date. I don't see him as being in the league after this season. He looked absolutely miserable. And after I bought into all the hype about how the Arizona Cardinals were going to be good this year, it's a real shame. Any thoughts about Chris Johnson signing today? Do you think there's any potential there for the uh, Arizona Cardinals? He did look good uh, many years ago before David Johnson stole the team when he got injured. Any potential for him to step in and actually be viable, maybe in a fantasy context, if nothing else? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's two years ago. That was uh, David Johnson's rookie season 2015. And two years ago, for a running back that age is, is lifetimes. Um, so there's a reason he was out on the street and he was available. And, uh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think he has any impact on the field or in fantasy uh, either. So, you know, I, I'm very low on that signing. All right, so that's, uh, that's it for the Arizona Cardinals. Let's talk about the next guy on the list, and that's Allen Robinson. So Allen Robinson, uh, non-contact injury on his very first catch, uh, torn ACL, going to injured reserve. Uh, he, went, he was on injured reserve on, on Monday. He is done for the year. Jaguars are now stuck with Marquise Lee, Allen Hearns, Keelan Cole, and Aurelius Venn as their top four receivers. Uh, and obviously there's Leonard Fournette there, so we, we expect that to be a very ground-heavy team. But honestly, this was going to be a ground-heavy team anyway. When it was talked about this in the preseason, it was clear that the Jaguars were going to rely on their defense, which did show up this last weekend, and try to hide Blake Portal. So does the injury to Allen Robinson impact the Jacksonville Jaguars in any way? Um, I think, of course, it does on, on a number of different levels. One, um, you know, the guy I'm, I'm interested to see is Marquise Lee. I was always high on him coming out of USC. I thought he's always kind of been put in that third role there. So maybe not a lot of chance to shine. I still think there's a lot of athleticism and a lot of speed. And I think he can step up and maybe make some, make a difference. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have Blake Bortles throwing the ball, right? So how much can it do? So I think the thing there, how much can he do? But the thing that I think changes the most here is obviously they're going to try to play ground and pound and they're going to try to play a defensive game. But I think it was 29 touches for Leonard Fournette this weekend, and that pace is not sustainable for a rookie. The proverbial rookie wall will hit him in about week 10, as opposed to week 12, 13, where we traditionally see it, uh, if he's getting 29 touches a game. So whether it's TJ Yeldon or Chris Ivory um, trying to go to more, you know, a play-action pass game to, to save Fournette a little bit, but they got to find a way. They can't, they can't rely on him to have 29 touches a game, uh, or, or they're going to have no shot this season. I mean, I think... I think we all saw how good the defense was this weekend, and maybe all those signings and all that drafting is finally uh, coming to fruition. But also, you know, we can't ignore the fact that Houston came out and laid a dud. Yeah, I, I totally agree that Houston did, did definitely had to play, had a part in what happened there, and a lot of that was Tom Savage. 
uh, and his poor play, and he was obviously repl- replaced after the first half with uh, Deshaun Watson, who was better but still had some inaccuracy issues down the stretch of the uh, second half. But let's turn back to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, honestly, they had you know, Blake Bortles only had to complete 11 passes <laughs> in order to secure that win, and uh, and that was most of it was without Allen Robinson. And you mentioned 29 touches uh, for Leonard Fournette. That was actually 39 total team carries with Chris Ivory picking up the other 10. I think that perhaps Chris Ivory picks up a little bit of that and that Leonard Fournette maybe uh, trends down a little bit closer to 20, 24 carries a game. But I I would suspect that what we see out of the Jacksonville Jaguars this last weekend is what we're going to see the entire season, a lot of defense and a lot of ground and pound. And whether that means a lot more Leonard Fournette or not, I, I don't think that the uh, absence of Allen Robinson really, really impacts their overall game plan. Uh, I don't see them being successful, though, without a good quarterback. All right. Any uh, any thoughts about the Houston side of that? Just uh, just out of curiosity, Deshaun Watson, you know, he came in in the second half. You, I know I'm springing this on you because we're supposed to be talking about injuries. But do you have any thoughts about Deshaun Watson? He's actually yeah, I thought Deshaun Watson. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the right move. I thought he looked good. Um, you know, I, th- I think he's still missing some throws. I think there's some accuracy issues here and there. But overall, the read, um, he, he makes better than, than Savage. And boy, was I wrong on Savage. I know I talked about him years ago during our draft preview in 2014, or going into the 2015 season. Um, I was uh, beating my chest when he came out and had a good game last year. Um, right. But, you know, a couple games in, no touchdowns, and that was that might be the most miserable performance uh, or QB performance I've seen in my entire life. Uh, on Sunday, that was that was painful. So um, <laughs> you can't you can't go with him, Deshaun Watson. I think he's a rookie. There's going to be some growing pains. It's not going to be perfect, um, but I think you're going to see uh, a better a better yield with him in there than you will with with Tom Savage now. And uh, might as well to kick it his lumps now and while you have an elite defense and try to and try to build that way. Yep, I totally agree with that. Let's ring the bell on the injury and let's talk about our next topic, which is uh, MVP rookie running backs this year. There are a number of rookie running backs out there, and we all now have a chance to see them. We've been talking about them a lot because it's a really deep running back class. I know who you like. Out there was Kareem Hunt. He managed to put together 148 yards. I, mean, I don't have to tell you since it was a game you were probably watching closely. 148 yards and a touchdown. Uh, also had 98 yards receiving and two more touchdowns. Delvin Cook, one of your favorites, Ryan, out there last night, 22 times for 127 yards, adding another 10 yards on three of five targets. Uh, over the Saints, and he basically dominated snaps uh, there. There's not much. There was almost no Latavius Murray. He only had three plays. Jarek McKinnon only getting 11. Leonard Fournette, we already talked about him, 100 yards and 26 touches and a touchdown. And he also had three targets of 24 yards, which we didn't expect him to do, was to catch balls out of the backfield, which he is apparently doing. And then Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon being the big duds of the week. I mean, not, not terrible for Christian McCaffrey, 13 Runs for 47 yards, caught five of seven for 38 yards. But Joe Mixon, wow, what a complete disaster. Nine yards on eight carries, three catches for 15 yards. Basically got no looks at all in the second half. What are your thoughts about the rookie running backs from week one? What are your thoughts about how they're going to impact their teams going forward in this 2017 season? Yeah, so I'm going to veer out of what you probably were going were gonna to assume I was going to say here, but I'm going uh, Kareem Hunt. <laughs> is going to be right. wow. um, the, the, the rookie MVP uh, for running backs. And mainly because of, of, of the situation he's in. 
I think Leonard Fournette, especially with Allen Robinson, they're going to lean on him too much, and eventually he's going to face the Todd Gurley effect, right? They're going to start stacking eight men in the box, and they're going to dare him to beat. They're right. going to dare him to beat right. you know defenses because that's their their best weapon. Um, in Minnesota, um, I still think that you know we're going to see you know like we saw last night on third downs, they're still going to mix in Jarrett McKinnon. Um, Latavius Murray looks awful, and obviously three carries and a fumble last night was not uh, not a way to stay in the mix. But regardless, you know I think there's a little less weapons there in Minnesota, so you can still key on Dalvin Cook a little bit. I know we like we both like Rudolph, but let's be honest, Rudolph is not a top ten or maybe maybe a back end top ten tight end, but he is not um, he's not an elite guy or a guy you really game plan around. Stephon Diggs is right. really the only guy you have there, so you know Dalvin Cook's gonna face you know face some tough matchups. Uh, Kansas oh, Adam City. Thielen. Don't forget Adam Thielen. He he also. Adam know, Thielen. Yards, so. Yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not fully buying in on Adam Thielen yet. I think he does it against uh, mediocre to, to bad um, defenses, but I don't think you know in a, in a game you know a game against Seattle you know you know Seattle's going to key on taking out Stephon Diggs and then they're going to stack right. the box and they're not even going to think about Thielen. Um, you know, a team like the Saints, yeah, you can expose some people with with Thielen out there. So, um, but I think uh, I think uh, Hunt has the the best you know, the best situation. You got Travis Kelsey, who's easily the number two tight end in football, if you ask me. Right. You have Tyreek Hill, who's, you know, proved or started to prove the other night. You know, it's one game into the season, but he started to prove that last year was not a fluke and he's not going to hit a sophomore slump. He looks just as explosive as he did last year. You know, I think Chris Conley is actually a pretty decent wide receiver too, especially for what they do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as they run uh, a college offense and it's, you know, almost annoying to watch at some points because, this guy goes in motion, and then you shift over here, and then he calls out this, and then do this, and they, they take up the whole play clock, and then they get four yards. You know, as, a, as Mike Felger on the Felger and Maz show here in Boston says, Kansas City puts more work into gaining four yards than any other team in the NFL. But it is somewhat effective. <laughs> so I think, I think given the play design, the sophistication of the offense, and the other weapons around him, Hunt is going to have the most, going to be freed up the most. And um, you know you saw you saw that he can make explosive plays the other night. So I think he, I think he goes on to have the best season. I, I would not be surprised to see him uh, over 500 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing. You know, close to 2,000 yards all purpose um, with close to right. 10 touchdowns. I don't think that's un- unrealistic for him this year. Um, that Bengals offense is a mess. So Mixon, you know, I'm not high on. And um, Carolina's offense looks like Carolina's offense of last year. It doesn't look it doesn't look like a strong suit. Um, there's still something wrong there, and they played a bad San Fran team. And, you know, I know it's an East Coast team going to the West Coast, and um, it's a day game, so there's that whole, you know, time difference and everything. Uh, and maybe playing down to your opponent a little bit, but I was not impressed with what I saw in Carolina. I thought that that was a most, the most unimpressive blowout I've seen in a long while. So uh, I'm, going, I'm going hunt on this one. Well, so McCaffrey actually touched the ball only two fewer times than Jonathan Stewart. So Jonathan Stewart is still a thing, but he was lying, he was pretty heavily involved in the offense. He played seventy percent of the snaps. Do you do you think that Christian McCaffrey has some room to bounce back? Uh, you know, just in this particular offense, in the way that the Carolina Panthers team is currently composed. Yeah, it's not so much a statement on McCaffrey. It just again goes back to, you know, what is the situation around him. And I don't think – I think Greg Olson's on the back nine here. Um, I still right. think that there's something wrong with the Kelvin Benjamin thing. I've been mm-hmm. saying it for two years. Absolutely. Um, I, think, I think eventually maybe I get proved out because, again, I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that they're a losing team the two seasons that he's been healthy, and the one year he's out, they go to the Super Bowl. And the offense <laughs> is stagnant when he's in there. And right. So there's, some, there's something. I don't know if him and Cam don't get along. 
if if it's the diva, throw me the ball. I want my touches. You know, like we saw with Adrian Peterson last night. There's certain right. guys that put themselves above the team. There's something not right with the Kelvin Benjamin situation there. And I will be vindicated because eventually once he leaves Carolina, you know, they'll smear him on the way out of town and we'll find out all the details. But yeah, you, you couple that in with the fact that Devin Funches sucks. I, I am tired of it. I've waited for this guy to emerge. Again, another guy that I was high on out of the draft when he came out of Michigan. I wrote about yeah. him in our mock draft. They took him in like the 17th pick overall. I love yep. Devin Funches. I'm, I'm officially off that train. He sucks. <laughs> oh, I'm done wow. with him. I have, him, okay. I have him in two fantasy leagues. He's already out there. I have one fantasy league where I need to pick up a running back, and, I, and I'm the sixth on the waiver wire. All six of my transactions that I put in, because I need to get at least one guy, the guy I'm dropping is Devin Funches. He's off my team <laughs> one way or the other this time tomorrow. Um, right. So, again, you, you just tee off on McCaffrey, and I just I think that that situation, um, you know, I don't know what happened to the – two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl, they were the most complex, um, you know, run uh, offense. They were – they were so creative and, and manipulative, and like they were pulling centers and offside tackles and everything. was It was an unbelievable run game, and I don't know if everyone caught up to them so they've stopped doing it or, or they just decided they don't want to do that anymore, but the exotic run game is gone, so I think that's going to hurt him too. So I think he's a good player. I just don't think he's in the perfect situation. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. He is a great player. I just don't think I don't think he's in the right situation to be successful out there in Carolina. There is certainly something wrong with Calvin ben, Calvin Benjamin too. That's that's a bad call by me because I actually was on the Calvin Benjamin train coming into the preseason and I thought they were going to reestablish something this year, and it it certainly did not look like that was going to happen. So let me ask you this question. I, I said I was going to talk about this earlier, and you mentioned Kareem Hunt. Let me just talk about and take yourself out of the. I know it's hard to take yourself out of the fandom area and tell me objectively. Do you think that Alex Smith has made strides forward this year because of the Patrick Mahomes pressure, or do you think that this is just you know a one-off game for him? I think it was a one-off game. Um, this is not my fanboyism. This is my honest opinion. Um, you know, a lot of the reports coming out of preseason, I think a lot of us around here ignored, were that the Patriots did not seem to be very crisp during practice in that there, there seemed to be a lack of effort or energy. And I think you brought in a lot of new guys. A lot of guys come here and see all the Super Bowl championships and the, the aura of, you know, basically I just show up and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to win. Um, so I think the other night was a kick in the teeth of the Patriots. But I think, you know, I don't think they're as, obviously as bad as they showed, and I don't think Kansas City is as good as they showed. Um, you know, the Patriots clearly, you know, they had some issues. But, I mean, the, the, I believe it was the Tyree Kill touchdown where Stephon Gilmore gets beat. Um, he thought they were in Tampa too, and I think that's what they were. And, and McCourty's supposed to get back and not let that get over him. McCourty's a top five safety in the NFL. He doesn't usually make that bad of a read, but he jumped inside with Kelsey, and you know me and you could have made that pass. So um, <laughs> you know I, I'm not buying into. And the other one was you got uh, Cassius uh, Marsh, who's been here for five days, playing almost the entire second half with Dante Hightower out, and he gets matched up against Hunt on a one-on-one coverage, and and it was about five yards in. Marsh hadn't turned his hips yet, and by the time he turned his hips, um, Hunt was already gone. So, again, just an easy layup play. So, um, you know, I think Alex Smith is who he's always going to be. He's going to be a good regular season quarterback. He's going to have these massive games time to time. And particularly in the regular season, it appears that the, the Chiefs have the Patriots number. They, you know, handed them their worst loss since the loss two years ago at Arrowhead. Um, right. And, you know, obviously Alex Smith looks great, but I think – Come December and January, when the when the uh, the defenses tighten and the pressure gets more, we'll see the same check down Alex Smith we normally do. 
All right, so you heard it here first, and we're going to keep hearing it again. So let's go ahead and ring the bell and uh, move on to our next topic, which is the I have it listed as the uh, best NFL team week one, but I actually want to call, ask this question, which is which NFL team impressed you the most, Ryan, in week one? I'm going Oakland. Oh, I wow. think, uh, yeah, so I think um, that's another team. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said with the Patriots, it is, you know, you do read your own newspaper clippings, and they've kind of been ordained, you know, one of the top three best teams in the AFC. And it would have been easy for them to come into this year with a little bit of false confidence and kind of lay a dud. You're going, again, the big travel west to east, and I know they're still in central time, but it's, you know, almost, you know, two-hour difference. And do you have that travel? going to a team that a lot of people are high on and a team that I thought played a pretty good game. You know, I don't think Tennessee went out there and laid it down. I thought they fought hard and they played well. And, you know, that Amari Cooper touchdown, super impressive. Marshawn Lynch um, had better legs than I expected him. And if they can keep his carries down and keep him fresh, I think that changes a lot for them. And their defense looked pretty good. So I thought that was an impressive win. And Derek Carr came back again and just he looks even better this year than last year, which is now three straight years of progression. Um, for him at the quarterback position. So I thought that was kind of a statement win to go on the road week one, um, you know, because they could have lost that game. What, what would we all have said? We would have said, that's no, not that big of a deal. It's a hard, it's hard with the travel. It's a road game. Tennessee's right. on the come up and blah, blah. We would have all excused the way. So it was a very easy game for them to go out there and give half effort, half effort and have an excuse. And instead they went out there and they beat a tough AFC, uh, you know, opponent and they're 1-0. So I think, um, I think Oakland's a real deal. And I think that was a big win for them. All right, so let me ask you about two uh, teams that kind of stood out to me as kind of impressing me on certain levels. Now, and don't laugh right away, so I'm going to get your response on this. The L.A. Rams taking care of business against Indianapolis Colts 46-9 this last Sunday. Jared Goff, actually 21-29, of 29, 306 yards, one touchdown, did what he had to do. Todd Gurley, not efficient, 19 attempts, 40 yards and touchdown, but he did get what he had to get done in the middle as well. But Cooper Cup. Really impressive, four for 76, a touchdown, and some really dynamic catches. Opposite Sammy Watkins, who looked like he had a pretty good connection with Jared Goff. What are your thoughts about the L.A. Rams? Do you think they have a potential to upset and, and actually be competitive this year? You know, I think they could be close to a 500 team. Um, I, I will say that, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but we talked about him multiple times um, during our couple uh, fantasy podcasts we did with the boys at uh, – yep. uh, yeah, NFL talking heads and Beerfield Fantasy. I did, um, you know, Cooper Cup was one of my sleepers I kept talking about. I love the kid. I think he's got a great connection with golf. Um, and then I think Sammy Watkins is being used better. They're putting him in the vertical game, which is the only game he has, whereas Buffalo wanted him to run inside stuff because they didn't have a quarterback that could get it to him. So I think he's better suited out in L.A. And, you know, you add Robert Woods in there as the number three, and now all of a sudden teams have to back off a little bit, which has given Todd Gurley more room, and he looked better. And that defense, we all know that defense is legit. And I think there's, uh, with McVay, you have a little bit of more creative offensive mind uh, over yeah, there. And I think you're seeing it right now. So I think, you know, I think they could be, I think they're a team that could be on the uptick. I don't think they're there yet. But I think Goff has a pretty good season. I think they end up well. With that said, Sunday was fool's gold. Um, I have two <laughs> big clocks on my wall here uh, in my apartment. Um, I have started the official countdown on Bruce Arians and Chuck Pagano. I, 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 <laughs> Now that Jeff Fisher's gone, I had to take up another cause. And above Bruce Arians is Chuck Pagano. This man sucks. He is a boob. He might be one of the worst NFL coaches I've ever seen. He had one good year because Andrew Luck made him look good. And then he had the cancer. 
thing, and so he, he gets that sympathy thing for a couple years, and I'm not making light of his cancer, so please don't take it that way. But what I'm right. saying is, is that he gets all the sympathy votes, and now we can't fire him. And he somehow skated while running one of the worst teams for the last three years, and then he came out after the game, and San Francisco beat him when he played L.A. That's how clueless this guy is. Right, he, right. He's, uh, it is the most embarrassing thing since Jeff Fisher couldn't find the challenge flag against the Patriots last year. <laughs> this stuff doesn't happen. You can't, right. you can't make this. If I, if I wrote a fictional book on football, I couldn't write these scenarios. So while I like L.A., and I think they'll be better this year, that is a statement on that team. The Colts suck. Right. No, I totally agree with that, too. Let's, let's, I mean, let me ask you one more question about another team that stood out to me. Detroit Lions took care of business against the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about the Cardinals earlier today, 35-23. Matt Stafford, 292 yards, four touchdowns, did have an INT. Not much on the ground, but Golden Tate, 10 for 107. And Kenny Galladay making amazing catches, four for 69 and two touchdowns. What do you think about the Detroit Lions? Did they have a chance to come out and surprise this year in the NFC North? Yeah, I think they could be a contender. I think we all know what kind of team they're. I think their defense is a little bit better and on the uh, more of an uptick this year. Um, I think on the offensive side, I think Galladay can be a good player. And I've always loved Golden Tate, Notre Dame, um, yep. and Marvin Jones. You know, the, but again, this is this is how stupid. You know, some some NFL coaches are so dumb. They just they just do what they do and they don't care about the matchup, whatever. And you wasted Patrick Peterson on Marvin Jones. Uh, all day on Sunday. Patrick <laughs> Peterson lined up against Marvin Ridiculous. Jones and you let, you let Golden Tate run all around you? Unbelievable. And no adjustment. No adjustment. No, it's not working. I'll just keep banging my head against the brick wall. And he ended up beating Patrick Peterson on a breakdown play for a touchdown. Yes. Uh, yes. So, yeah, I think they can be viable. The Achilles heel is what it's always been. You just said it. Amir Abdullah was, was dreadful in this game. And Theo Riddick's not a guy who's going to run between the tackles. So, you know, everyone, I think myself included, was high on Amir Abdullah coming back to fix that run game, and it didn't look any better on Sunday. And, you know, that's fine right now, but in January, you had to have some semblance of a run game. So I think they get in as a wild card, um, but I don't think that they are, they're making a real deep deep run into, into February by any means. All right. All right, but still a lot there for Detroit fans to cheer about with Kenny Galladay breaking out. Let's turn to the other side of this. What NFL team in week one upset you the most? Uh, going into uh, to, uh, uh, week two? Um, you know, obviously I want to say the Colts, and I would love to say the Bengals because I was watching NFL uh, Red Zone yeah. all day on Sunday, and every single time the Ravens game came on, I wanted to jump. I made a joke to people I was about to jump off my balcony because I couldn't watch that game for one more second. It was dreadful football. Yeah. Um, but the team I'll go with is the team that absolutely screwed me in my suicide pool you have all this hype. You have a huge natural disaster, a city that needs you. you. Everyone thought back to the Saints in 06. You thought that was going to be the Texans moment, and they came out and laid a dud. And I am oh, so sick that. of the national coverage putting this all on Tom Savage. He was bad in that game, absolutely. But that defense stunk, that offense stunk, and the coaching was atrocious. Bill O'Brien should be ashamed. He should be embarrassed. And for all the good things he's done to turn that team around, um, you know, winning, going to the playoffs on back-to-back years on a division championship with no quarterback. Um, you know, so he gets credit for that stuff. But that was an absolute stinker, and I don't care if Jacksonville surprised him or not. That's a game that they should have been ready for mentally, and that's, that's a game that, that I, again, I picked out my suicide pool because I said there's no way the Texans, with everything that's going on in Houston, <laughs> don't come out right. and do this on an emotional level with all that talent. And they went out yeah. there, and they – they looked like the Texans of, of four or five years ago, just outmatched out, out from from front to back. It was it was an embarrassing performance. All right, yeah, I totally agree with that. Let me let me get your take on one more that popped out at me. 
The New York Giants really disappointed on Sunday against the Cowboys in prime time, losing 19-3. That offense looked absolutely lost. Defense was fine, but they looked gassed. What are your thoughts about the New York Giants going forward? Is it just OBJ missing, or is there something worse at play here? I mean, you're surprised? I, I, can't, I, I hate to hear you say that because uh, I think I do a lot of uh, patting myself on the back on the show, and I'm going to do it right now, but I'm also going to give you a pat on the back. Me and you have been saying it for two years, and I don't know how this is in a national storyline. Eli Manning, and again, I always reference Trent Dilfer when I do this, you know, his Brady line, <laughs> isn't good yeah. anymore. He hasn't been good in years. Odell Beckham has made him look better than he's been because Beckham can take a slant route from eight yards and turn it into an 80-yard play. So all of a sudden you forget that Eli had only had 20 yards before that for two interceptions and no touchdowns. He gets the huge plays because Odell makes those plays. Again, the catch against the Cowboys that we all all salivate over from two years ago. That was a horrible throw. That was a great play by Odell and a bad throw for Eli. And so Eli's not good anymore. And when, when Odell's not in the lineup, you see what that team looks like. Yep, only two receptions over 20 yards for Eli. It was a big mess of a game. That defense actually looked pretty good, though. It's just that they just were gassed. They were out there on the field so often. They they got no relief from their offense. Uh, I think this is a bad sign, even with OBJ coming back. All right, so I'm going to ring the bell on our final topic. That's all we got this week. So, Ryan, why don't you give us your Twitter and Instagram account so people can follow you. Perfect, and I'll do my weekly shout-out real quick. Check out DraftingSleepers.com, the social network for fantasy sports. And you can find me on Twitter, at Ryan Whitfield, N-E, and on Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time. And definitely check down uh, Four Down Territory by Ryan. It comes out pretty much every week. Uh, also sponsored by DraftingSleepers.com. And you can follow me at FB Garbage Time. And until next time, and I can really mean it this time because there actually is NFL football. I'm so excited about this. Enjoy your NFL week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.